And uh, if you wouldn't mind, open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, in, the, in the few minutes that we have this morning, um, I was just really struck by where we find ourselves in Galatians, based upon where we find ourselves in the world right now. Uh, in the world at large, it seems like we've lost our minds. <laughs> it seems like our country is spiraling. It seems like that the stories that Bucky encounters on a daily basis that would make your toes curl. I mean, we talked last night about this, and uh, we have to, how do we keep this PG-13? This stuff that he's experiencing is, is hard to talk about in a Sunday setting. But if we don't do something about it, who else but the church should do something, could do, must do something about it? As I thought about it, I was actually, you, you keep a finger there, and, and actually, I'll just read this to you. Second, Timothy 3 really came to my heart, and I was talking to uh, Jeremy's dad, Don, this morning, who's a pastor in uh, Pennsylvania who's with us today, and I, here's what I was reminded of this morning. We ought not to be surprised when we look around the world, because it says that of Second Timothy 3.1, understand this, that in the last days will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Just think about that one for just a moment. Can't, you can't, your knees are not satiable. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good. Hmm. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power. Avoid such people, it says. And he's speaking to a time when if you were to cross-reference this with the Drudge Report, you'd be like, oh, that's it. I don't even have to go to Drudge. I just knew that was going to happen. And Jesus, kind of picking up on that theme in Matthew 24, said that, speaking of of, of the, the last days, that because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And as I thought about that this week, as it specifically relates to us in the church, what I think that Jesus was warning us is that there's so much of that that we believers, followers of Jesus, become numb to it, that our love will grow cold, that at a time when it's the world needs us most, that our love could grow cold because that list feels overwhelming to me, and it's everywhere. And if your child is on Instagram, he or she encounters it there. It's on YouTube. It's on TV. It's everywhere. And as a believer, as church, as followers of Jesus who come together, what we call a church, a fellowship of believers, what must we do then? There's a metaphor that Jesus would use as what he came to do. He said that he came for the sick, not for the, the, the whole, not for the healthy he, he came for you. <laughs> he came for me. And, and as a sick person, where would you go? You go to a hospital. And what is the goal of the hospital but, but to make you whole and, and healthy? And the problem, I think, what's happened sometimes in our world is that we read Galatians 6, if you've got your finger there, and we say, okay, this is what a hospital should look like then. Brothers, if anyone is caught, uh, the uh, King James, I think, says overtaken, because it's not like caught, like uh, busted, it's caught like I'm in a trap, caught, do you understand? It's a different idea there. You who are spiritual should restore him in a uh, spirit of gentleness, 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of, of Christ. That as a hospital, our goal is wholeness and health. And so one of the diagnoses, if you will, one of the prescriptions, if you will, is restoration. And that word there when he says restore them is actually a word in the original Greek that speaks of like a bone being mended. It's a medical term that Paul was using. And as believers, mending brokenness, mending brokenness is what Bucky's ministry is doing. Mending brokenness is what Kyle's ministry is doing. Mending brokenness is what we all get to be a part of. And I think that the confusion that I've experienced over time is we want to restore, right, Galatians 6.1, we want to care for the casualties in our midst. But it's important for us, just like a doctor, to get the right diagnosis in order to get the right prescription. I was reading a story uh, of a lady named Kim Tut, not related to King I'm pretty sure. Well, she was getting her jaw x-rayed at the, uh, at the dentist when they noticed a large bump on the left side of her jaw. After undergoing further examination, she was told she had three to six months to live. Terrible, right? The doctors told her that she could possibly get an extra three months if they removed the left side of her chin right up to her ear and replaced it with her fibula. One of those things, I guess you go to Home Depot and pick up a fibula and Desperate to spend more time with her 10 and 12-year-old son, she underwent the procedure. The lump was removed, and although slightly disfigured, Tut was grateful to have extra time with her boys. Three months later, she was called to the doctor's office, who gave her good news. She was cancer-free. Bad news, she had, in fact, never had cancer at all. There had been a mix-up in the lab, and Kim Tut had gone through the surgeries and been left disfigured for nothing. And as I read that, I'm thinking, in our church world, sometimes when we're going, and we, there's someone who's been overtaken in transgression, which if you haven't been, you will be, and you may be right now. But when we identify that transgression, it's easier to identify the prescription for the problem. Because restoration is the goal, is the, the command when someone who is overtaken in a transgression. But it's not the only command because being overtaken in a transgression isn't the only way that this goes down in our lives. Fo follow me on this. That overtaken means like a, uh, when a hawk swoops down and gets one of our chickens, Lauren. He is overtaken by a hawk, okay? It's like being hunted down. Now that chicken was overtaken because she had escaped from the coop, right? We have this little chicken Alcatraz out in our property that's to get away from... They, we, we, we tell them it's like luxury, but it's not. To get the owls out and to get the, the coyotes and all. But when one of them gets out and starts wandering when there's nobody watching, they're overtaken. And well, I guess our job then is to eat them and what's left of them. But, but in this case, Jesus is saying, when you've been overtaken, don't go and butcher them, but restore them. The blundering believer, if you will, the one that, that took a journey that they shouldn't have taken, Nobody means to get addicted. Nobody, when their little boy or little girl grows up and says, you know what, I totally want to be hooked on heroin when I grow up. Nobody meant to go that way. They're overtaken with this. Now, they still need help and they still need restoration, but it's different than what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, or 1 Corinthians 5, about the boasting backslider. The boasting backslider was that person he was talking about specifically who was having an inappropriate relationship with his mother-in-law, like Jerry Springer 
style in the early church. And he's saying to them, look, you're over there bragging about that. You're boasting about it. And he had a prescription for the boasting backslider that's different than the prescription for the blundering believer. But then there's another kind of way to be overtaken, and that's the beguiled brother or sister, if you will. And James speaks of somebody who has been taken away by false doctrine. Someone who has been enticed by a doctrine that, and if you read Galatians, false doctrine is almost always, especially in Galatians 5, it unfolds this, is almost always uh, attached to your flesh. It's appealing to my flesh, and so I'm being drawn to that doctrine because it appeals to me, and I'm letting me be the judge of the Bible instead of the Bible being the judge of me. And the beguiled brother, there's a different relationship, a different prescription for the beguiled brother than there is for the boasting backslider, than there is for the blundering believer. But that's not it. There's also the belligerent betrayer. I went to Baptist seminary all of a sudden. I'm just kidding. I did not. I did not. But I know why they do that. The belligerent betrayer, Titus, talks about that person who is constantly backstabbing, constantly talking and gossiping, constantly. And it says, go to him once and go to him twice. And if he doesn't, so it's belligerent, not listening. A different prescription for the belligerent betrayer than for the bogus bishop. <laughs> I've been waiting all morning to do that. <laughs> what do you do with the bogus bishop? It's different. And when we take a step back and realize that it's really not that complicated. It's not that, it's not easy, but it's not complicated. That the Holy Spirit says, hey, if you diagnose this problem right. I came back from Haiti about a year ago with a urinary tract infection. I'm grateful that they prescribed antibiotics and didn't remove anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like I'm grateful that that was the, the diagnosis. Like, oh, thank God, they didn't risk my... Because antibiotics would do... When you're talking about restoration, yeah, let that sink in for a moment. I might not do that second service. <laughs> when you encounter someone who has been overtaken... We have to know what's happening, let the Spirit lead us, but then also to step in and say, okay, what's the diagnosis that Scripture gives us here? And over these next two weeks, we're going to talk about these five hypothetical people and what the Scripture tells us to do so that we as a hospital, a church, are ready for restoration of those, including you and me, of what that looks like scripturally. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about what I want to just a few minutes share about is what do we do with the blundering believer, with that person that didn't mean to fall, that didn't mean to get that far. And that's kind of the story of all of us. I looked at that once. I didn't mean for it to go that far. I went on one date, didn't mean for it to go that far. That person that was overtaken and their lives are being destroyed by what Galatians 5 refers to as the harvest of destruction. And if you've been involved in that, in any of those kinds of sins, especially the ones that become addictive in nature, you're not getting out by yourself. I believe, I, I don't remember who said it now, it might have uh, been Bucky, that sanctification is a team sport. We need each other in that. If you're just the pitcher on the mound, that's awesome, but when that guy gets a fly ball, who's going to take care of first and second? There's a team involved with it. 
And when I look at this, I see that he's saying in Galatians 6 that if anybody is overtaken in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Those that are overtaken, that word restore, the classic Greek idea of a present participle, which means it's not a waving of a magic wand. It's not a be restored in the name of Jesus and now it's done. It's a ongoing process, like driving your car. I am driving to Texas, driving to wherever. It's this constant ongoing. You're still driving. And with restoration, just like what Bucky talked about, it's an ongoing process of restoration. It didn't just start and then be done with one sentence. And with us in Scripture, the worst thing we could do is just to say, oh, here's a Scripture and here's some homework, and now you're restored. Like, when has that ever worked? Now, it's easy And I get why we would say that, because it's easy and I can be done, but that's not what the, it says this, restore him. And the way that we restore him is it talks about in gentleness. Have you been in a part of a hospital where the doctor did not have good bedside manner? When my mother was diagnosed with cancer back in 2008, uh, her oncologist was from uh, Turkey, and they are a warring people. (laughs) Now, Keeping in mind, you want that when you're talking about cancer. You want someone who, you know, is, you know, Katie barred the doors. We're going down. We're going to fight. We're going to, you know. But his bedside manner was like awful. And, you know, it's like you almost needed a filter of gentleness with him. And what the diagnosis here is, is to do this gently. Gently without judgment. Gently because the fact is, is you could be in the same position. But it also says then to be careful that you yourself don't get drawn into it. Which is, again, why I believe we do this in a team sport, that the church is doing this. Because we're accountable together. Gently and together in this ongoing process. And I love this. It says, and, and we've read this verse before, and if you take it out of context, it, it almost, you, you, you miss the point of what he's saying when he says, verse 2, and bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The burden of someone who has gotten themselves in trouble is a heavy burden. Paul would say in Galatians 5 that when you sow after the flesh, you'll reap a harvest of destruction. It's not God's angry. It's not his punishment. It's just sowing and reaping, and it's why I believe God hates sin so much because of what it does to us, that there are consequences. And one of the greatest consequences of being overtaken in transgression is separation. Separation in your marriage, separation in your family, separation in your friends. There are brothers and sisters who have been a part of this family over the five years that are no longer with us because they were overtaken in transgression and we were restoring gently, but they couldn't be in the same room with another person. It brought separation to them because that's, God hates that. In the very beginning, in the, in the garden, what did it do? It separated Adam and Eve. It separated them from God. Not because God was separated from them, but it's the shame that separates them. And so when we go into restore them gently, what we're doing is we're breaking down that separation. And at a time, gently means because at a time when everybody else wants to separate from them, when you go in gently and being careful, gently, you begin to, I love, someone said this once, you, it's when they were caught in this moment, they said that it was one, for the most freeing moment was that I was fully known and they loved me anyway. What great truth is that? 
to be fully known and to know that I was loved anyway. So to go to them, restore them gently, like setting a bone, and to then walk with them and bear their burdens. Because if your leg is broken, you can't carry the load. So you're bearing the burden with them. And that looks like over time, it looks like time. In our body, we have so many amazing examples. Cortland, who is in California right now. Jimmy, who is in Guatemala. Cortland spent time in the trenches with Jimmy week after week after week coming out of addiction. He'd never had a job before. He didn't have any idea how to even start a business. None. And, and Cortland, here's how you do a budget. And here's how, you know, here's how to get jobs. Here's how to present yourself. At one point, Jimmy, I don't think he'd mind me telling you this. I'll ask him later. It, <laughs> no, I was kidding. No, Jimmy has the beautiful thing about that when you've been forgiven much you love much and so when Jimmy got out of place of hope his teeth were all broken and meth methed up and (laughs) 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 pun not intended but that was a really good one I will use that in second service but but we helped him get his teeth fixed so that he could go into a, 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 a person's home and fix their home without it was this ongoing process and it's years not weeks when you talk to somebody who's been in a, in a marital situation where there's been infidelity, where the, the, the experts will tell you this is a five-year journey to wholeness. Five years. And sometimes we jump out early because it's just it's not working. Well, you're two years in. When, when Bucky was talking about there's some of these things that are like the rest of your life. Remember Jacob, when he wrestled with God, he walked away with a limp. God could have healed him, but he didn't. And I think the beautiful thing is because he, the rest of his life, leaned on this piece of wood, leaned on this tree, leaned on the cross. And so for us in those moments of weakness, we get to lean on Jesus for the rest of our lives. But for us in that restoration process, uh, Jeremy was, for a period of time, investing in, he does this every day, really, for a job. But on a, there was a family in our church. They had made some financial decisions that were blunders. And he walked through them week after week, helped them with the budget. And I was actually reminded of that this morning because David and Laura Holderman are with us. David is one of our elders, and their story of redemption was, well, tell us, like you guys were, you'd made some decisions years ago, and left you how much in debt? 160000 <clears throat> And uh, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I was pastoring a church at the time, and uh, we had, <laughs> I love the word blundering because it, it does very well. Uh, uh, we had spent 20 years of marriage not knowing any better. And so it was, it was blundering out of ignorance. And then uh, even as a pastor, uh, preaching and teaching the word and then trying in your own mind to go, oh, man, but this doesn't make sense, but I don't have any tools that make any difference. And uh, when we had finally reached the point of being sick and tired of being sick and tired, uh, as it were, um, uh, the the number one decision that we made was that there was not going to be anything living in us that God did not cause to live, and anything that needed to die in us he was more than welcome to kill. That's another way of saying uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Yeah. And we needed his grace far more than we needed his opposition. And so from that, uh, from that decision, the first thing I did was uh, in a sermon, 
on a Sunday morning, uh, I put our budget up on the screen. and uh, Your personal budget? Yes, our household budget. And I just pointed out to the congregation, I said, there's the mess we're in, and we're getting out of it. And, uh, and from that, uh, we went to a, a, a family in the congregation that were roughly our ages, but they had lived wisely. They had been wise stewards of what God had entrusted them with. Uh, they were not in debt in any way, shape, or form. They managed their household well. And so uh, as an act of both wisdom and humility, we went to them and we said, we've learned in 20 years how to make stupid decisions <laughs> and how to have stupid attitudes about money and, and money management. Will you help us learn new attitudes and learn new behaviors? And so they said yes. And so for a year, a year, it gets emotional. Uh, for a year, they walked with us uh, as we began our journey to get out of debt and to begin thinking differently and begin behaving differently. And so uh, once a month on a Saturday morning, we would go to their house and we would meet with them for a couple of hours. They'd uh, have breakfast for us. And then we would lay out last month's budget, we would lay out next month's budget, and they would say, okay, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to do, I, you know, and they mentored us, they talked with us, they taught us uh, how to begin thinking differently and how to begin behaving differently. And, uh, and so... You know, it, it was a year's time, but if you look back at it and you break it down, it was two hours a month. So for a total of 24 hours of their lives, they uh, were a very pivotal relationship in teaching Laura and me how to think differently, how to behave differently, and... Uh, um, when it comes to stewardship and stewarding, uh, it really is learning how to say no. Um, but no matter what your problem is, no matter what your situation is, uh, I am convinced that the first step to restoration, the first step to God solving your problem is a humble heart. And what happened was on their side, hum humility. And by the way, humility and humiliation share the same root word. So when you're praying, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, or to Lord, humble me, understand that there's moments where that just squeezes all the dignity left. <laughs> it squeezes all the pride left out of you. There's no better way to, to get the sponge <laughs> than to just wring it out. And I think that the Lord allows us to make these decisions because over time, 20 years of making decisions their way, and I promise you there's people in this room right now who have that same story. But what happened then, while well, they had come to the moment of humility, then a restoration process happens. And as a church, as brothers and sisters, I think that God, and the beauty of that is that God, just like he said he would do in 1 Corinthians, was that in the, the way which they were healed, now they heal others. So what they do, that's what they do if you've been around the Holdermans. That's actually what Dave does for a living now. He goes and travels and teaches churches how to get people free from debt and to teach stewardship because that's his 
their story. And so in your story right now in this room, there are those of us who are in need of restoration and there are those of us who need to restore. Because you're at a point... And that word spiritual, by the way, doesn't mean that you're spiritual. I joked with Art, you sit in the front row. (laughs) Sit under the spout because that's where the glory comes out is what we were taught. But that's not true. Um, Spiritual just means that you're walking in the spirit. Not that you're free of sin or you're walking in the spirit. And and I wanted to share that story in particular because we tend to go to the, well, he had one of the, yes, that kind of sin. And all of it, it needs restoration. And it just, the thing about it is it just, it takes time. But you know the good news? Love is patient. And I would hope as a church, as our worshipers are coming back, that, that this morning that you will begin to look in your own life and say, if I'm in a place where I'm broken and I need freedom, I need restoration, to break through that humiliation, if you will, of asking and realize that it's just humility and for those of us, those of you who have been down this road, and maybe, maybe you've got this one area figured out, but you've got this other area you're still working on, but in this area that the Lord has given you freedom in, would you be available now to walk down that road with others? That we could be a hospital. Because in these days, mockers and scoffers and deceivers lawlessness will abound. It's happening around us, and we have to be ready for those who are broken, to be able to walk through restoration. I interviewed Bucky on purpose because we, he said zero of these people choose to get in it. And maybe a young girl at some point made some decisions that allowed her to be overtaken. How can we walk through that? How can we not walk through that? How can we, if you've been to the DMV lately, it's just a service. Somebody's signing and stamping. And when the government is doing it, I appreciate what they're trying, but there's no relationship. There's no Jesus in that. The church is this beautiful opportunity for restoration in people's lives. And obviously, we only got through one of these, but in the coming weeks, if if there's this boasting backslider, a beguiled believer, (laughs) a bogus bishop, there, there are commands and scriptures for those things. But for today, as we worship a little while longer, my prayer is that you'll be restored knowing that I can invite you down to pray for you right now and you're going to walk out and you still need restoration. As a church, we need to be ready for that. It doesn't mean starting programs. It means having people standing at the ready. And I know some of your stories. I don't know all of them, but I know some of your stories. And I know that your story of redemption and restoration is a story that someone else needs to hear. And it's a gift that you need to give somebody else as well. So, Father, would you give us wisdom this morning? Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. And for those that maybe are in a place where you need restoration, that you would give us courage to step forward and to ask to begin that process. And Lord, for those of us who have maybe been down the road and have been restored or in a restoration journey, give us the courage to stand up and to give that medicine, give that gift, that diagnosis and that prescription to others around us. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a society that makes it complicated, but you make it so simple. In Jesus' name, amen.